Welcome to Inside Aesthetics, the podcast for cosmetic, wellness, and business insider knowledge. I'm Dr. Jake Sloan, a cosmetic doctor based in Sydney, and I'm joined by my co-host and good friend, David Segal, an entrepreneur and a multi-clinic owner in the aesthetic space. We'll cover any topic that makes you look or feel good with long form, unbiased, and unfiltered conversations with expert guests from around the world. New episodes are released every Friday and you can subscribe for free on your favorite podcast app, including Apple Podcasts and Spotify. You should seek medical advice before undergoing any treatment or procedure, and these podcasts do not replace a professional and bespoke consultation. Hi, David. How are you? I'm good. Nice to meet you. You too. I've just been looking at the photos of your amazing house. I'm very jealous. (laughs) Not the fire. (laughs) No, 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 no. The bit without the fire. (laughs) well thank you no we just bought it and um yeah we love it very much yeah we do really is it in uh not is it cape town it's in cape town yes in the southern suburb so it's more or less you see in in the atlantic seaboard side you have all the ocean view and the city vibe and all the restaurants but we live on the other side of the mountain where it's we it's called the southern suburb. Yeah. So it's more like forest, um, very lush, big, nice green gardens. I like yeah. that. Well, <laughs> it looks freaking amazing from the photo that you sent me. So uh, congratulations. <laughs> it looks very regal. Thank You've got you. an amazing fireplace behind you. Are, you. are you in your house at the moment? I am. I'm hiding in our bedroom, actually, because uh, it's stuff going on outside there. So <laughs> <laughs> to make sure we get privacy. Fair enough. And um, you moved for love. I heard you relocated from, from Sweden to South Africa for love. Well, actually, Norway. From Norway. Yeah, I'm a globetrotter. Um, so, yeah, I'm born and raised in Sweden. Uh, but then I moved to Oslo, Norway. So I have been living and working there for about 11 years mm-hmm. before I last year moved to, to Cape Town. Yes. For love. <laughs> and uh, where did you meet your, your fiancé? And when's the wedding? And, and are we invited, more to the point? <laughs> of course you are. Of course you're invited. Yes, we made the list. <laughs> was, was, this a, um, was this a Tinder success story or you met in another way? No. So we actually met. I was, uh, I was invited to speak at um, a static conference in Johannesburg. Right. In South, Af- in South Africa in uh, 2019. And uh, my fiancé is a plastic surgeon and he also injects. So he, he works with injectables as well. So he was also a speaker at that conference. I was going to say, you realize, Julie, you've just crushed a million men's hearts by saying that you're <laughs> engaged and you're going to get married. <laughs> so I'm sorry to let you down, guys. Well, I'm really sorry. <laughs> well, I'm not married yet, so... Ah, okay, there's a chance. <laughs> the door's still ajar. <laughs> there is always a chance. No, just kidding. Fair oh, enough. Oh, that's sweet. No, so we met at that conference, more or less, and uh, I, I fell in love with a man and I fell in love with the country. So yeah. that, that's the reason I'm here. And was it a big adjustment? I mean, in terms of completely different culture, different climate, people are different. Like what was the, what was that like? How did you adjust? Uh, well, I don't think I have adjust, uh, you know, hundred percent just yeah. yet. Uh, it's quite a different lifestyle here and different culture, uh, different in many, many ways, you know, born and raised in Scandinavia, 
uh, yeah, it's it's more or less the opposite. And let's be um, honest, it's probably the worst time ever in history to move to South Africa with with everything that's been happening. Like, what what's the situation right now? Like, are people out? Are they locked down? Are there vaccinations available? The situation here in South Africa at the moment is um, it's a very mild lockdown. So most things are back to normal. Restaurants are open, stores are open, but there, of course, are some regulations. Uh, you know, just a certain amount can be in the same store at the same time, and it's mandatory to wear face mask in public. Um uh, but we have no curfew anymore and the vibe is back, traffic is back. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, from, from a lockdown perspective, it's, it's quite, um, yeah, not many restrictions right now. The, the life is back in the city and the vibe is back. Unfortunately, we had this horrible bushfire over the weekend uh, that maybe put some people down <laughs> again. Yeah. Uh, but other than that, yeah, with COVID and all that, it's quite calm at the moment. Vaccinations, unfortunately, they did. Um, they calculated if they are continuing vaccinating people in the same speed like they're doing now, it will take about eighteen and a half year to oh, vaccinate the whole population. Yeah, that's uh, that's a big project. It's a big project. Yeah. Now. Um, when we announced that you were coming on our podcast, our Instagram, I think you broke our, our Instagram account. It went, it went ballistic. <laughs> so I'm assuming that all of our um, audience or the people that listen to us know who you are. But for the benefit of anyone who's listening to this that somehow doesn't know who Julie Horn is, could you just give us, I guess, a brief summary about your background, who you are, how you got into injectables? And yeah, just, just give us the Julie Horn story. The Julie Horn story. Well, wow. that could yes. be a Netflix show. Yeah, right? a Netflix series. <laughs> it actually could be. It actually could be. To be honest with you guys, maybe we should start discuss that. <laughs> we can create the series. Yeah, Jake together. and I will be the executive producers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Now, Julie Horn. Well, she she's born and raised in a small town in Sweden. She. Um, has always been uh, very artistic. I started painting and selling art in a very early age. Um, so painting in oil and uh, aquarelle, do you say that? Watercolors mm. yep. uh, was one of my biggest passions when I was younger, child and then a young teenager. And then from painting landscapes and you know, nature, I went over to paint more uh, portraits. I got very interested in facial features. And also as a teenager, I was so early with makeup. I was first in my class, started, you know, to put blush on and play with highlight and, you know, darker, deeper colors. I was very early with that already. So the, was David. The contouring. Yeah, I, I was going to say that about you. <laughs> <laughs> We can compare notes after the show, Julie. You can tell me what I can do to uh, bring up. What's it called when you do it? When you're sort of contouring, is that what it's called? Contouring. Yeah, yeah. I pretend I don't know. Contouring. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. No. So that is just like a background to to make people understand that in a very early age, I was interested in facial features, also beauty, uh, beauty of facial features. 
And then also, I was born with very, very thin lips myself. I mean, it was skin and teeth, more or less. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was self-conscious about that. Um, I really started looking for solutions way before I was old enough to do anything about it. So I did some research, how can I get my lips fuller? And there were, you know, examples of surgeries you could do and or filler. And I really wanted to go go to someone good and safe practitioner. So I did a lot of research and I had time because I started already as the age of 16 to do research. And when I turn 18, I, I will do something about this. So when I turned 18, I actually did um, lip surgery or um, a fat transfer mm. into my lips. Yeah, to make them a uh, little bit more full. Uh, it was a horrible procedure. <laughs> uh, the downtime was over six months. Wow. But uh, yeah, I was swollen. I looked like a monkey for yeah months. But uh, when everything was healed and settled, I mean, I had fuller lips, but I didn't really have nice shape to it. So I felt like, okay, this is a project I just started, so I have to continue. So in the age of 19, I went and had my first lip filler procedure with a doctor in Stockholm. And that's where we started building up my lips and and shape them, you know, uh, step by step. It's a long, slow process. So that's why I also have personal experience with lip fillers and how to build up thin lips over time. Um, so when I stepped into that clinic so many years ago, I had this weird feeling, you know. I was like, oh, this is what I'm going to do <laughs> when I grow up, you know. I had that feeling and I remember it so strong, at, you know, today as well. And uh, but then uh, when I st- started study, uh, did my bachelor at university in, in nursing science. Uh, I started working with the heart surgery patients, and I really loved that work uh, at the hospital, uh, taking care of the patients, both pre-surgery and post-surgery. We had young children, adults, uh, all ages, and I really loved it. You know and. I think it's so important or beneficial to have that kind of experience and background, even if you are working in the aesthetic field, you know, so yeah. don't go directly from graduating into the beauty industry to have this uh, 13 year of experience working with patients that way. I just feel it make making me a stronger person and um, safer and responsible injector and you know i have good relationship with all my patients or most of my patients <laughs> <laughs> there's always one isn't there <laughs> uh, always the one there yeah absolutely even i have those yeah so no with that backstory and during all these years um i was thinking one day one day i'm gonna take my foot out of the hospital and you know continue my dream Uh, working in the aesthetic field. And uh, six and a half years ago, I took that step, um, started from nothing and gradually by myself uh, built up my own brand, uh, Julie Horn, Julie Horn Lips. Yeah, Yeah, and Julie, that's an amazing story for for several reasons. But, you know, a lot of your uh, fans are nurses themselves and they'll look at that and they'll go, 
six and a half years. And yet, you know, you're seen as a global key opinion leader, uh, obviously Philips, but Injectables uh, as a whole. Um, you've just done so much in, in so little time. So how did you learn? Who, who were your trainers and, and who were your mentors? And, and do you still continue to have that relationship? Yeah, so what I did was I contacted Galderma back then. And um, when I want something, when I'm after something, I go for it, you know, 110%. So I think that is one of the reasons why I've been able to to get where I am today in such a short period of time. Uh, it's, it's a part of my personality. If I want something, I go after it. Like moving to Cape Town, for example. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Good point. <laughs> so I think that that uh, it's part of my personality. And then also, in addition, the passion I have for this. So I have worked long days, sometimes day and night, you know, for many years now. Uh, so it hasn't been easy. But my passion has driven me to work hard and to, to grow, uh, develop my brand over time. So passion and have some, we have something we say in Swedish, uh, that means have some fire in your butt or something. Yeah. I thought Come you were going to say you some, know. Balls. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> some balls. Some balls. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> How did exactly. you say that again? Some I like balls. that. Say that again in Swedish. Yeah. Okay, I'm not going to try that one, but uh, I'll learn that one for another time <laughs> when I visit Sweden eventually. And and who are your mentors or, or who are your you know influences? Who did you learn your techniques from and, and then obviously expand on? So I contacted Goldrema and I had uh, written down several page, uh, pages of uh, my business plan and what I wanted to achieve and my goals. And they were so... Uh, positively surprised by my effort and my passion. So they just brought me right, right in and they said, okay, guys, here we have um, very promising injector. Seems like she has some jävlaranamma. <laughs> <laughs> and she's very passionate and let's try, let's do this. So they, they took me in and they put me through this educational program uh, which I then become a certified injector by Galgerma. Yeah. And they could definitely see my passion and they thought, okay, we can use this girl for training. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, so I have been attending so many trainings uh, through the Galgerma training programs and I have been trained by, I think, all if not all, most of their big KOLs, all from basic advanced to, to master level classes. And uh, I have so many people that in, uh, are inspiring me in this industry. And also back then when I was going through all these uh, educational programs, I had so many uh, mentors more or less within the Galderma KOL. So when it comes to LIPS, the first person that introduced me to vertical injections uh, uh, that was uh, a dear friend and colleague of mine today, uh, Dr. Tom Van Eyck. Oh yes, yeah. So he, did, yeah. So he he did. I mean, 
think he introduced the tenting technique way over a de- decade ago. Yeah. So, yeah, so I took a lot of inspiration from Tom van Eyck and then also, you know, looking around in social media, attend other trainings and online trainings. And then you just pick your pearls here and there, the people that inspire you. And then you create something, you know, yourself, your your own style by using pearls uh, that you see and learn and pick up uh, around you. Yeah, I totally and, agree. Yeah. And obviously now you're a key opinion leader yourself. So what are your responsibilities? What do you do? Um, you know, tell us about your role. Yeah, I'm, I mainly train in, in lip injections only. That's been my specialty and I like to keep it that way for a while longer. We maybe can discuss more later. Mm-hmm. I, I do other indications, but I I'm definitely specialised. You've become so synonymous <laughs> with lips that people might probably quite stupidly think that you only do lips but you know that's all we see so fair point yeah no no i do uh i wouldn't say i do all indications but i do uh, many other indications yeah my role as a key opinion leader that will be you know to to have trainings for galderma's uh, hcps they call it right? mm-hmm. healthcare providers yeah um and I mean, pre-COVID, I did a lot of tours around the world to have live trainings, live injections on stage, uh, some workshops with hands-on trainings. So it was a lot of traveling back then. But then after COVID hit us, it's been mainly uh, virtual trainings. And uh, my role as a QRL is to to share my my technique with uh, other people, um, other injectors, and to... Yeah, educate them in in safe injection techniques and how to create beautiful, natural-looking lips and also be a little bit like a mentor, support them if they have questions to be available. Uh, Also, I'm involved in the Galderma Nurse Faculty Board to support nurses in this industry. Yeah, also as well. That's brilliant. I mean, a bit of an insider knowledge for the listeners who might think of how we linked up originally. I, I actually came to a, a Galderma training session about three or four years ago as an Allegan trainer. And I remember <laughs> on my table, everyone was looking at me like, are you in the right room? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the only reason I came and I've told you this off air is so I could um, come and get to know you. And we were supposed to podcast then. And unfortunately, you um, you were sick at the time. So we had to cancel. And then of course, you left. And at that time, when we started the podcast or, or even planning the podcast we weren't zooming we didn't have the technology to do this so uh how far we've come to have a nice conversation whilst you're in cape town and we're here no it's amazing julie what is it about the lips that have become such a key part of facial aesthetics that people become so obsessed with it i guess especially younger people what is it about them that makes them so special you know, lips is very important in the overall appearance of a human being. And it's it's like it has so much to do with sexuality, um, especially amongst women, I would like to say. So I wish I had more male patients asking for lip treatments. Um, but I, I have a few, uh, most gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but I wish, you know, more... Uh, 
men could could come in and, and ask for for lips because it's so much you can do. I mean, my goal when I treat lips is that no random people can tell that you have done something when the lips are healed. You know, uh, close people, friends, and family should sure they should notice the difference, but as natural as possible. Um, yeah, so lips, a female and lips, I mean, it's in the two first impressions. When we look at a person, we look at their eyes and we look at their lips. So it's a part of the first impression when you meet someone. It's a part of sexuality. And uh, yeah, I guess it's a very important uh, structure in, in our face. Yeah. And yeah, that I people agree. are obsessed about yeah. Yeah, and it's also obviously it's very feminine. You know, w- women tend to have more shapely, maybe more you know, voluminous lips compared to guys, and it's also a sign of youth. Um, you know, because as we get older, yeah. they do get thinner and um, they lose their volume. So I guess you know that that's why it's so popular. But but it seems to be the treatment that. Well, it's almost people a, come for. Well, especially as a gateway treatment. I mean, obviously, you know, you've got Botox, which people tend to start off with their dermal, their, their anti-wrinkle injections first, but then they seem to graduate initially to their lips as their first place to get fillers done. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for the younger cohort, I mean, is that your, your own experience, Julie? Is it tends to be a sort of a 20 to 30 year old first um, filler treatment would be the lip? Would you agree with that? Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Millennials' first indication is all, all, often lips. Yeah. Yes. And do you have a, a lower age limit where you say no? For example, do you treat eighteen-year-olds and above, or do you sort of have a threshold where it's more about their maturity and, and the actual patient? To be honest with you, uh, I I actually have a twenty-one-year-old uh, age limit. Yeah. Um, but I I do exceptions. I like to sit down with my patient and talk uh, prior to the treatment, have a proper consultation. And when when it's a young girl coming in uh, and with young girl around 21 or between 18 and 21, just sit down and talk and just ask what's the reason, you know, why you want to do this sleep treatment. Here's some background story. And if I if it's an 18-year-old girl with already pretty lips and I don't see any indication to actually treat in that young age, I, I prefer to wait until they're 21. But then if it's an 18-year-old girl with severe asymmetry, maybe uh, scar tissue that creates uh, asymmetry or a severe M-shaped lip or like myself, yep. extremely thin lips and they are uh, self-conscious about it. Uh, absolutely, I'm here to help. And uh, I bring them in and uh, we start the, the process with slowly, slowly building up the lips, uh, natural results only during the process. Mm. You uh, mentioned that you would love to have more male patients. So um, when you come back to Australia, Jake and I, um, I'm putting my <laughs> hand up for Jake. We're both straight males. We're happy to, uh, we're happy to undergo. Uh, 100%. Tri- we'll do an Instagram live. Yeah, we'll, we'll do, do an it. Instagram live. Now, what makes an attract? I think we'll get into the technicalities of how you approach the lip and what makes a beautiful female lip. But just as a segue, you sort of brought up the male lip. So I'll ask you now, what makes a beautiful male lip? Straight male lip, maybe. Or maybe we'll do both. I don't know. Yeah. No, when I think male lips, I always uh, divide it into two different male lips. I, I think about the gay men that want a, want a feminine look. And I think about the heterosexual 
men or gay men that want to have the masculine look. So I always divide it in a feminine male look or masculine male look. So when it comes to masculine male look, uh, I I tend to think pointy, sharp, and square. Yeah. So I and uh, a more one to one point six ratio, sharp definition, uh, and I try to make the lower lip more square shaped. In in female patients, I tend to try to create more uh, vertical height in the medial part of the lip and a rounder shape uh, of the lower lip that's mm-hmm. more a feminine feature. So more square lower lip in men uh, and of course often much less product. Uh, and also male patients often have firmer tissue, firmer lips. So I also tend to use a higher G prime product when I work with male lips as well. Yeah, I, I did your lips a few years ago, didn't I? Yeah, Jake did my lips a few years ago. Yeah, they still look pretty yeah. good. Oh. I mean, my girlfriend laughed at me for about three days when I looked like a duck. But um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you gave my girlfriend much amusement. <laughs> well, there we go. I'm just a performing monkey. <laughs> <laughs> so, Julie, when you're approaching a new consultation for a patient, we understand that's in many instances almost the most important appointment that you're going to have because you're doing an initial assessment, you're making sure that they're in the right frame of mind and that you can hopefully achieve what the outcome is that they're after. So how do you approach that consultation process and what are the red flags that you're looking for in terms of deciding when not to treat a patient? And then how do you handle it when that happens? Yes, a consultation is very important, um, you know, in terms of getting to know the patient. um, I, I tend to really try to listen to what the patient wants and I want to meet my patient's wishes Uh, but I'm not willing to go too far if a patient is asking for a a natural result uh, I would step back and say no to a treatment but then again what is an unnatural result Mm -hmm. and who who am I to to say what is looking natural and and not? So it's a very difficult discussion to to take. So it's all about personal preferences. So um, if I can't stand for the result and be proud, uh, because people that come to me get a lip treatment, of course they will tell their friends, uh, Julie Warren did these lips, and I want to feel proud, you know. Yes, damn, I did. And I'm so proud of it. So if I feel a patient is asking me to do something that I, mm, I'm i not going to be proud of that, that result, then I will pass. Uh, and I would say, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, I'm not going to, to do the treatment. Uh, also, if I have patients that I can read that maybe have a little bit unrealistic expectations, that I feel that, okay, no matter what I do, how much I try to achieve what this patient is asking for, I don't think she or, or he, for that matter, will be happy anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. So then also, if I feel that, I also step back and say no to treatment. Uh, because my goal as an injector is to increase people's life quality you know, to make them feel better about themselves. And if I, during the consultation, feel in some way uh, that this is not going to happen, um, then I, I won't treat. Yeah. yeah. And that conversation can be difficult. And I know that 
um, and Jake can probably speak to this as well, is that I think a lot of injectors around the world are now starting to look at their work, um, look at some of the exaggerated results that people are asking for and starting to say no, and for probably a good reason as well, but sometimes that can be quite a confrontational conversation. And I know you sort of just alluded to the fact you say no, but how do you, maybe let's just dig into that a little bit deeper because it is a difficult conversation. How do you handle that delicately without getting death threats or people writing negative, <laughs> negative reviews about you? <laughs> well, I had patients in the past that asked me to burn in hell and stuff. So right, God. <laughs> <laughs> for saying no, um, it's a very difficult, very, very difficult discussion. I just try to stay calm and I'm a very, I speak right from my heart, you know, or liver or whatever, you know, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I'm honest and my patient can tell that I'm honest. And if they get upset with me for, for not doing the treatments, then I'm just saying, I'm so sorry. And I accept that they are upset, but I mean, it's not much we can do about it, but to dig deeper into this subject again, I, I said, who am I to tell what is natural and what is not natural? If we look back, you know, hundreds and hundreds, I mean, always, as and you know, human beings have always uh, expressed themselves in, in different ways. And uh, I mean, some people... In some societies, they they don't feel they fit in. For example, they they want to be, you know, different than others. We have people that do facial tattoos, piercings, scarification, body modifications, green, purple hair, uh, extreme clothing. They are expressing themselves through their appearance. And uh, I mean, I think it's always going to be that way. Different trends, people are expressing themselves through different, you know, looks. Uh, so it doesn't have to be anything with injectables to do. Um, and we have those people also in the aesthetic world that want to to have that, you know, a little bit more extreme look. Um so again, if I have a patient coming, oh, I really like those really defined cheekbones. Let's say a patient's in 29 years old. Mm -hmm. uh, some conservative injectors would say, oh, she would look like an alien if <laughs> I did that. And then you have other injectors that are in the more gray zone that are willing to stretch to meet the patient's wishes. Well, I mean... A really, really defined high cheekbones can be a natural feature. People are actually born with that. And as long as it fits the face, it fits the patient's style, and, you know, it, the whole picture fits in, why not? I mean, and the millennials, they're often, they want to look a little bit more defined, a little bit more edgy. Um, so again, it's such dif difficult topic because... Again, who am I to say, no, that doesn't look natural. No, that doesn't look good. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, we could discuss this for hours, actually. Yeah, I, I just want to ask, because I, I missed the, the virtual conference at the weekend, but you were part of an overfilled sort of uh, filler migration type of conference with a lot of our past yeah. guests, actually. I know Subio was there, Tim Pierce was there, Mobin was there, you're there. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of common people that we've spoken to and 
every, if, if I asked every single person the same question, they'd all have a different answer. And so this is where aesthetic versus taste versus fashion versus I'm a mm. doctor and, and, and I only do medical treatments. You know, yeah. all these arguments are valid, but in a bespoke consultation, you sort of have to mold that a little bit. There's got to be a little bit of flexibility, I think. Yeah, absolutely. A little bit of flexibility. And then you do, I mean, um, I consider myself as a quite conservative injector and I am more, I am in the gray zone, definitely, but I'm more closer to the conservative group than to the group that doesn't give a damn, you know, they just fill, 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 fill. Mm. So I'm more uh, with the conservative group. I'm just curious to sort of drill into your consultation process a little bit deeper. So once you've done, you know, obviously medical history, find out why they're there, blah, blah, blah. What do you do from a hands-on perspective and an imaging perspective? Um, do you take photos? And if you do, you know, what angles are you doing? And do you take any videos of them performing expression or dynamic um, movements? Yes, indeed I do. First, I ask them what they want to achieve before I start giving any advices. So I listen to what the patient wants. And then when I do the actual assessment of the lip, I definitely look uh, from a frontal view. Uh, I'm trying to see if the lips have the optimal positioning uh, in the lower face. Uh, I'm looking at the patient in a profile to see if, uh, how to balance the profile. Uh, also, animation is so important. Sometimes they have muscles pulling, uh, maybe. So when they're talking or smiling, it can be a little bit asymmetric. So sometimes I can, if they ask me if they're complaining about the asymmetry, I can also assess the, the animation and advise that we can also combine the lip treatment with some toxin yeah. to make the animation more symmetrical. Uh, also make them always smile from ear to ear to see if they have gummy smile, uh, to see if the upper lip is already covering a lot of the patient teeth when they are smiling from ear to ear. Because if so, we have to be very careful in adding product into the upper lip to make the lip more uh, bigger and heavy so we can make actually make the patient look toothless yes. after the treatment. So I take photos from all angers, angles and also a video and animation. Yes, it's so good to have proper documentation in the in the patient file. Perfect. And and you know when you've got your patient on a profile view, do you you know do you use any of these standardized lines like Rickett line or or anything else to sort of get your proportion or are you just doing it with your visual sort of um, assessment of, you know, I, I think I could advance your bottom or top lip a few millimeters and that would be okay. Yeah. In the beginning of my career, I, I use all these golden ratios here and there and the horizontal thirds and the vertical fifths, you know, sometimes I still do uh, just to guide me. Yeah. Uh, but mostly, mostly I trust my aesthetic eye and, um, I mean, yeah, sure, we can we can measure the rickets line, which is the line drawn from the tip of the nose to the chin. But what if the patient have a very uh, projected chin and a very projected nose? The rickets line doesn't make sense because that means we have to project the lip <laughs> totally <laughs> ridiculously much yeah. to get a balanced rickets line. So I never stare blind or you know blindly use this tool. We are artists and I'm mostly trusting my aesthetic eye. Mm. 
One of the things that injectors always talk about is, is symmetry and patients tend to notice it as well, especially after they've had a treatment done is sort of if they had existing asymmetry, sometimes it becomes more exaggerated afterwards. Do you think there's um, a different approach for people that are naturally very asymmetrical in that if you tried to then correct that asymmetry, it could almost make their face look out of out of proportion because you're all of a sudden putting something that's very symmetrical in a face that's not very symmetrical? Do you sometimes even try and keep that asymmetry? Oh, yes. Sometimes I can fell in love with asymmetries. Mm. Uh, I mean, why strive to make people symmetrical? Who is symmetrical, first of all? Yeah. Um, if, if it bothers the patient, if they're specifically asking, can you please help me with this? I'm feeling self-conscious about this. Uh, sure, we can work and try to achieve more symmetry. But I am definitely not hunting down to, you know, create perfectly symmetric results because that is more or less impossible. Yeah. And uh, you, we have these apps, right? So we have seen asymmetric <laughs> faces when they have, you know, yeah. two left sides, two right sides. And we, most of these people, their normal face look, looks much better uh, with the asymmetries. So no, um, asymmetries is, can be just only beautiful and mm. individual and sharp. So, yeah. so maybe the word we're looking for is harmony rather than symmetry. Yeah, absolutely. Exactly. Very good point. Tell us what are Julie horn lips? Everyone wants to know what are they? And <laughs> vertical or tenting or Paris technique, whatever you want to call it, I know that you obviously employ that technique and that's become super, super topical at the moment with a couple of prominent injectors saying it's completely wrong and it, and it creates filler migration and so on and so on. And I know you've just done this um, conference again. So what was the verdict at the conference? And, and tell us what your technique is. So my technique is, first of all, if we look at the results, is to create a, a defined border around the lip. So a defined vermilion border. And then with my technique, we are able to create often vertical height in the medial third of the lip. Yep. And then let the height fade out laterally. And I call my technique uh, or the vertical injections fences. Uh, because it's creating support from the vermilion border and the wet dry border. That's how we can increase the height mm -hmm. uh, without creating projection. Yeah. So if I would like to have projection in addition, then I inject horizontally um, and focus on the patient's natural tubicles. <clears throat> and I go slightly, slightly deeper, uh, but I'm in front of the muscle. So yes, there are a couple... Uh, <laughs> out there that is not big fans of vertical injections. What annoys me about that, the thing is everyone is entitled to an opinion. But what annoys me is there are no studies showing really uh, that it is causing filler migration if you're doing it correctly. Yeah. And what's Annoying me is that they are generalizing all vertical injections are the same. And that's not true. Yeah. It's all depending. It's all in the details. So when I inject, I inject in a closed compartment in the lip. Uh, 
So I'm only injecting in the red component of the lip. So the white roll, which is a structure right above the vermilion border, it's a structural adhesion and it works as a barrier. Yes. So when I do vertical injections, I stay below the white roll and I go down to the wet-dry border. But since I'm a safe injector and safety always comes first, I retract my needle a bit so I stay above the wet-dry border. So I'm not close to any arteries. And I'm in front of the muscle. So I'm very, very superficial. And then I carefully do thin, thin vertical linear threads. Yeah. So I'm also not over-volumizing the lips. I'm using very, very small amounts uh, of products. And also these people are referring to a study made by Professor Kotofana. And they're claiming that tenting or vertical injections are dangerous in terms of, uh, or, you know, to cause uh, vascular occlusions. But there we have, again, we are generalizing all vertical injections. It's not the same. It's depending on where you enter uh, with your needle. It's depending on which depth you are in the lip and so on and so on. So there are so many aspects to consider before we actually can throw shade over a technique. So I love your um, description there. I, I always imagine the lip like a tire, like a bicycle tire. And, you know, if you look yeah. at it sort of from a profile view, as long as your needle is in, in the tire as you're injecting, yeah. doing your fences, then you're not going to be outside that system and create a filler migration. Exactly. So you can, yeah. yeah, you can create migration with vertical injection if you're not doing it properly or correctly. And if you're not careful enough, but it's annoying to listen to uh, people that are generalizing in this way, because I don't agree and professors Kotofana don't agree either. So I work close with him and we have done my technique on cadavers and we did dissections and he was just amazed about the results he got from that so i ha he have my back and I'm, I'm quite happy about that too so yeah are you guys going to write a paper on that because i think it's important and the thing is we have a lot of exciting things ahead i don't think i can spoil <laughs> but <laughs> there will i thought we were gonna have an exclusive there will yeah there will definitely be some research uh done and we have some projects going on that's cool. Now, just to, uh, one one more question about that technique. Do you use the supplied needle with, with your filler or are you decanting into smaller needles? What's your preferred technique? No, I just like to use the syringe and the needle that comes in the package with the product. Yeah. I don't decant into BD syringes, uh, no. I'm used to the syringe and I'm used to my half-inch needle and I think it works very well for me. But I have nothing against people wanting to put the product in smaller syringes if they feel they have more control and if they feel they are a safer injector that way. I have nothing against that. Yeah. But it's just my my way to work. Yeah. And tell me about your lollipops. I remember you were doing lollipops when I when I met you at the Galdema event. So tell us about that and what's the point of them? <laughs> the lollipops. Yeah, you know, I like to, when I train... I don't like to make things complicated. You, you know, the easier people understand, 
what my message is, the better for me. Yeah. So that's why I like to use these silly words like fences, lollipops, spider web techniques, you know, so people easily can relate. So a lollipop is when I'm injecting a micro bolus, like a little, little lump. And then I do a retrograde injection, a linear thread connected to that uh, microbolus. Yeah. So it's shaped like a lollipop, more or less. So I named it just because people easily can relate to the technique. And what's the function of the, the little microbolus? Because that's nearer the wet-dry border. So what's it doing? Yes. So I use the lollipops often when I have a patient that asks me to correct an M-shaped lip. And you know, when you have a dominating medial third tubicle and then the lips are inverting a bit on each side and when they gently close their lips, sometimes the M shape is so severe that they can have two gaps uh, lateral to the medial third tubicle. Yeah. Uh, so I often to, to even out the wet dry border to make it more straight instead of this typical M shape. I do my lollipops above the wet dry border lateral to the medial third tubicle just to straighten out the, the, the wet dry border. Brilliant. But I stay above it. Yeah. It seems like um, every couple of months there's a, there's a new um, technique that's come out, whether it be the fox eyes or the Russian lip, which seems to be quite popular at the moment. What are your, what are your thoughts on those trending treatments? Well, I think we're always going to have that, no matter what. There's going to yeah. come new techniques. It's going to come new products, new trends. Uh, I think us as uh, medical professionals, we just have to be curious but skeptical, and uh, and you know, use or <laughs> take stuff to us that uh, seems interesting. And you know, as long as it's safe, uh, I'm happy. But these trends, they will come, they will go. Um, I'm not a big thread fan. Uh, I'm not talking down on people using threads or training in threads or producing threads. Uh, the reason why I'm not a thread person is that I have actually not up to date seen any very, very uh, astonishing long-term results that I'm, it's impressing me. So I'm not a big thread fan and the fox eyes um <laughs> <laughs> i had to ask you know it, it's yeah no it's funny you know that the pictures you see on instagram immediately <laughs> after the treatment i mean it's always giving me a good laugh yeah and i take my screen screenshots and i send and we laugh um but we know that that result it will settle you know and we know that threads the lift it doesn't last maybe very long um it just looks very funny there and then straight after the treatment you know i can really appreciate uh, a straight uh, angle of an eyebrow i i actually do it myself with makeup so my eyebrow guru or mentor is shino bay i love these uh, eyebrows yeah. yeah yeah he has more like straight he has fox eyebrows so I can appreciate that look. So, but I use makeup to do that instead of putting threads there and pulling them there. Yeah. And but again, yeah. Sorry, I was going to say you've got to make a comment about the Russian lips. This is a lip episode. <laughs> we need we need a, a a comment. You almost got away with that one. <laughs> no, yeah, almost got away. No, I'm happy to give a comment about the Russian lips. And the thing is, 
what we see on social media, it's it's so many photoshopped results, yeah. you know, it's not authentic. So we have to just filter that away, first of all. Um, and then I have to say that there actually are a few really good ones out there. I can appreciate some injectors there before and afters using the Russian lip technique. I had a webinar together with Sebastian Kudofana and we had the Russian lips as a topic. So I did some, some research prior to this webinar. So I asked people from my Instagram account to please provide me with experiences, you know, pictures, information, different, you know, and what I found out is it's a big jungle. So this is the Russian technique. And no, this is the Russian technique. Now, hmm. this is how we do it. And it's all different, you know. Yeah. So uh, there is not really one technique. And it's a big variation of results. I can tell you my, my humble opinion is most of them are a little bit too extreme for my taste, my personal taste. But there are if they're done safely with less products, and properly, you know, um, with detailed, nice work, then I really can actually appreciate uh, a pair of Russian lips. It's all depending on the person holding the syringe, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Now, when do you use a cannula versus a needle? Well, <laughs> to be honest, I don't use much cannula in lips. I love using cannula for or, uh, other indications in the face. Um, the reason why I don't like to use cannula in lips is that I feel I have less control. Yeah. I struggle finding the exact depth I want to be in. Uh, the syringe, the tool I'm working with, it's getting so long. That's also how I feel I'm losing a bit of the control. And I feel I can't do that fine, fine, detailed work with a cannula that I'm able to do with a needle. But I know some injectors are out there, they are uh, combining, they're using cannula and needle. And I guess then you can achieve more um, detailed work and, and other types of results. Uh, the only time I use a cannula in the lips uh, is when I am a little bit insecure about the labial arteries. If they have an ugly artery pulsating right at the wet dry border, scaring me a bit there. <laughs> I can gently slide in with a thick cannula and, you know, slowly retrograde injections fill the lips around that area. And then I can use a short needle to work, do a little bit of work on the borders. But I see some injectors out there, they're rocking that cannula <laughs> and they're creating beautiful results uh, with a cannula. Uh, it's not for me. Yeah. Um, I'm not very good at it in lips, to be honest. I prefer a needle. Yeah, I mean, I think you've already answered the question, but those people with really, e sorry, inverted um, M-shaped lips, yeah, really tricky, really thin sort of as they go out to the side, some people would say, you know, if you sli slide a cannula behind the muscle, you can sort of get a bit of volume posteriorly and sort of, you know, push it forward a little bit. I'm, I'm, I've never been convinced of that, but is, is that something you ever use? Never. I've never used that technique. I also heard about it. Yeah. But it, concern, it concerns me a bit uh, theoretically. In my mind, uh, placing filler behind the muscle, <laughs> you're not in that close compartment anymore. 
what will happen to that filler after a few months with all the animation with the orbicularis oris muscle will it migrate upwards you know um so i'm not a big fan injecting behind the muscle but i mean as long as you are using a cannula I don't know. It just scares me. It scares me. The mm. thought scares me to inject behind the muscle in yeah. general. And what happens to the filler over time there is also a, bit, a scary thought. <laughs> now, um, speaking of scary, I'm going to ask you a very, co- very controversial question. And if you don't want to answer it, you don't have to answer it. To aspirate or not to aspirate? Um, you're gonna pass my answer <laughs> no i'm definitely not gonna pass okay. uh, i you know you have to ask me much scarier questions than that for okay me oh, okay maybe i shouldn't have said yeah. that <laughs> <laughs> you know when i feel that it makes sense to aspirate i aspirate for example when i'm injecting temples um deep on the periost I don't prep my needle. I use a 27 gauge needle and I aspirate for 10 seconds. If I'm injecting a bolus in the piriform facade, same thing there. I don't prep my needle, aspirate for 10 seconds. Usually on, on injections on the periost, uh, if I'm planning to do a bolus injection, I, I aspirate. But when I'm working with a needle in soft tissue as the lips, uh, soft, movable tissue, no, I don't aspirate. Because it's, you know, if if you change the grip of the needle and start aspirating, you will be out of the position you were in in the first place. So it's just like a false safety. Yeah. And gosh, it would take uh, ages to do a couple of uh, ellipse with my technique if you were <laughs> going to aspirate every time you do an injection so yes i aspirate in danger zones when it makes sense and i don't aspirate when i inject it mm. julie i've got a game for you i know you're doing a webinar with lee walker soon yeah ask him about yeah. aspiration and see what see what happens i know <laughs> i know you know we had i know we had part one already last sunday and he he already told me about that so he was the he was actually the first person I was thinking about when you asked me the question. Yeah. I'm like, uh oh, hopefully he's not gonna listen to me now. <laughs> yeah, we had Leon um, a few podcasts ago. He's a great guy, and um, yeah, I love oh, listening to him. Yeah, yeah, I love him. I love Lee. Yeah, yeah. Now, now he's amazing. Sort of slightly away from aspiration, but there's a growing opinion that we sort of touched on within the aesthetic community that, you know, we've perhaps, or or some injectors have perhaps overcooked things, overdone things. Tell us about why do you think the lips have become overdone? I mean, that's the classic example. Whose fault is that? I mean, presumably it's the injector's fault. The injector's the one with the needle and they should neither do it if they don't agree or be pressured if they don't agree, but it seems to have happened. So where did that come from? Yeah, good question. I don't have the answer. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we we can, of course, brainstorm around it. Um, So that's exactly my questions when we had the webinar about the overfilled faces. How did we get here? Mm. Um, Yes, I think, again, we have three types of or three groups of injectors 
We have the black group, which is are the conservative group. And we have the gray zone, the gray group, which is in the middle in the gray zone. And the white group is the people who just don't give a damn. They mm. inject, they don't care. Um, so the conservative group would not do this and will not do this. The gray zone are willing to stretch a bit, but then you have this group of injectors that do whatever the patients ask for. Yeah. Um, what drives them to do that? The reason why they do that, I don't know. Uh, maybe they feel that it's the patient's right. Maybe they are money-driven. Um, I don't know. Well, it could also it's be a good uh, question. I think it could also yeah. be a, a lack of experience. Um, injectors also that are not uh, seasoned and maybe overly confident in their abilities. Maybe they don't have a big client database. Maybe there's commercial pressures. And then it could just be this self-perpetuating trend where it got started inadvertently through inexperience and ignorance. And then it's just created this sort of this loop, you know, this sort of positive feedback loop that just sort of continues to feed itself because people do it and they post on social media, then their followers see it and then they request it and then more injectors get pressured. And it just becomes mm. this circle that people can't get out of. Yeah, I mean, if you speak to people mm. like Tim Pierce, I'm pretty sure he was part of your panel as well, um, Julie. Mm. And I think you mentioned it at the start. You said your your number one goal as an injector is to make people, you know, function in life better and feel good about themselves. And so as a healthcare professional, whether you're a nurse or a doctor or even a dentist, I, this is where I think we distinguish between beauticians and non-healthcare professionals and, and healthcare professionals. It's our sort of duty somehow, I don't know where the moral compass lies because you could be black, grey or white like you just said, but you sort of have to think, is this going to be good for my patient rather than just mm. thinking, yes, I'm an injector, I can squirt some jelly into your lips today. Um, mm. a, 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 and, you know, how do you train the moral compass? That's the problem. Or, or the aesthetic eye even. Exactly. No, it's a big, a big problem. And uh, also we have seen that injectors, aesthetic practitioners themselves, uh, it's made a study about injectors having this uh, BDD, mm. body dysmorphic disorder disease themselves. Yeah. Uh, and it's becoming... Um, it's rising, it's becoming an issue maybe in, in our industry, within our industry as well. Um, yes, it's uh, it's all about the moral compass here, definitely, I believe. And what I love about uh, that I got the opportunity to be invited in this uh, conference about overfilled faces is that I hope that's just the beginning of something that is going to be discussed more and more and more, and hopefully on every upcoming conferences, that that is a topic to, to try to aim this industry into the right direction. Um, I so agree with uh, what David just said, uh, how this spinning wheel has, you know, unfortunately, you know, and the pressure in the social media and this and that. And no, I think it's always safety first and, make our uh, you know patients increase the life quality uh big duck lips i can't see anywhere how that can increase that person's life quality in any way to be honest so yeah i mean i think you've already said 
you agree film immigration is a thing and it's dependent on technique but what what's your sort of understanding of the mechanism yes so it has to be we need to do more studies around it and it's it's going to happen it's a lot of uh, things um, happening soon in regards to studies uh, about filler migration uh, i believe if you it can be product related first of all I think uh, I have a belief that uh, hydrophilic fillers with high tissue integration, if it's if you you can use it in lips, but if you overfill the lips with this product, create more high pressure in the lips, I think that can be a reason uh, you can get filler migration over time mm-hmm. if you over inject the lip with hydrophilic fillers. If I'm gonna uh, stay within my own toolbox portfolio restylane volume or volume someone says that is a hydrophilic filler which attracts a lot of water and holds the water in place i mean i was going to say aren't all ha's hydrophilic that that's what it does i mean obviously there's different percentages but that's the whole point of a filler they act like a sponge and suck up water apparently 400 times their molecular size wow yes yes Definitely. But you have some fillers that attract more water than yeah. other fillers. Yeah. So I, I would suggest to use the fillers that is not attracting too much water into the soft tissue uh, as the lips. Uh, then it can be uh, amount related. If you overfill the lips, if you create high pressure in the tissue in the closed compartment, or if you're injecting outside the closed compartment, with all the animation going on. I mean, after the eyelids, the orbicularis oris muscle is the most hardworking muscle uh, in our human body. (laughs) So, yes, I think that is also can be a reason how the filler can migrate over time. Mm. And also, if you're using um, injecting into the muscle, behind the muscle, or if you do vertical injections above the white roll, above the barriere, and... and you do a linear retrograde injection because the filler will always migrate where there is re- least resistance. Yeah. So if you do, you know, go above the white roll, do a linear retrograde thread, pulling the product with you all the way out, then you have created a channel with filler and the filler will, of course, migrate where there is least pressure or resistance. So that is also, I think, uh, what can cause migration. In your own practice, do you do a lot of dissolving? Do you, do you, is that oh, something yes. that you look after? I do. I do. I even got a phone call from the pharmacy once. They're asking, uh, is this order correct? Are you really ordering this much hyaluronidase? <laughs> and I said, yes, uh, it's correct. I do a lot of dissolving, unfortunately, because I see a lot of migration and overfilled lips out there. And I'm trying to clean up a bit and... Uh, and start over and do right. Obviously, you know, every case is different, but let's say you do have a lot of filler migration, you know, in the in the filtrum, sort of looks like a white moustache sometimes with that puffy look. How many units of hyalase might you use and, and what needle do you choose to do it or do you use a cannula? So when I dissolve the lips, it's often depending on how much filler is in there to begin with. And sometimes fillers with a high degree of cross-linking can be a little bit more tricky to dissolve than other fillers. But in average, for overfilled lips with migration, I use 
around 300 units of hyaluronidase. Okay. And for the lips, I, oh, yeah, I use a cannula to yeah. prevent bruising. So when I do high lace, I don't need that, you know, really detailed control over my yeah, <laughs> work. Yeah, yeah. So I often choose to use a cannula then in the vermilion body. When I work with uh, the migration in the ergotrid or the white lip, I prefer to uh, inject with an insulin syringe, a small yeah. BD syringe. And I'm injecting uh, droplets very superficially. Because in the past, I have done the mistake to inject the hyaluronidase a little bit too deep um, in the ergotrid. So they still have intradermal or subdermal filler that is blurring out the borders when they come back after we have dissolved. So I'm making sure I'm injecting very superficially along the borders uh, to, to really clean up the cupid's bow. And when I inject these droplets, I give the ergotrid or the white lip a nice massage so so the hyaluronidase will sink nicely into the tissue and dissolve. So that's a, a trick to really go superficial as well as a little bit deeper when you inject my, uh, dissolve migration. I was watching a TV show the other night and I, there was a close-up of this woman's face and I was looking at her lips and it looked like what only could be described as scarring. And I don't know what caused it, whether it was an accident, but I, it looked like she'd had her lips done many times just from the mm. aesthetic of them. Is that a thing? Have you seen this before where people can get scarring in their lips generally around that sort of bordered area where it just looks like something's not quite right? I have uh, experienced, um, I haven't seen scarring around or outside the lips yeah. uh, much, I have to say. But I can definitely tell if I have a patient coming and she have done her lips many, many times uh, over the years. When I work with the needle into the tissue, I can feel that it's a lot of fibrotic tissue in there mm. that might um, be a reason for uh, repeated treatments over the years. Um, I, I don't know if it's because of... Uh, use of a cannula too many too much or too much needle going on in there over time um but i don't see it a lot i have to say but i have experienced a lot of fibrotic tissue in lips while injecting yes i have have you seen it joe no mm, not scott i know exactly what julie it, it, it's almost something you can't see yeah. but you can feel it's like a textural mm. uh, component to when you're actually injecting you can't often see it but it's inside the lip mm. So, yeah, mm. I, 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 my personal feeling is it's just multiple, like you said, yeah. repetitive needling. Every time you put the needle in and out, presumably you get a little column of collagen that's, you know, healing and yeah. a bit of fibrosis. So, yeah, yeah okay. that's probably what it is. Strange question, sorry. Just thought I'd ask, since we had the two, two lip experts here. No, <laughs> and, uh, no, good question about that, actually, that I wanted to ask you, Julie. So, I know you like the, the Galderma range, you're um, using sort of various ones depending on what lip you want to do. How long do you tell your patients that filler lasts for? And I guess my second question is when patients come back sort of, you know, asking for more, how do you prove to them that it's there or not there? Because often you sort of go in this circular argument of, well, I think you've still got filler in there. And then they say you haven't. And, you know, you just go round and round in circles. Uh, I usually say to my patient that if it's their first time, I say it will last from about six to 12 months. It's very individual. 
but in general, six to 12 months. And the filler will gradually dissolve. So you won't have this size for six months and the next morning your lips will be <laughs> back to where they were, you know? Yeah. So I try to educate them in that. And I, all, I also give everyone this brochure or information sheet with all information that they can read back home. And there also describes how individual it can be. You know, some people dissolve the filter much faster than others and this and that. But in, in average, six to 12 months. And in the patient come back after three months arguing with me that everything is gone. Um, first of all... You get those too, thank God. <laughs> exactly. That's when you pull up this picture you took, you know, from yeah. all angles and, and the videos in animation and show them. And you take new pictures and you show them on screen the difference. Then nine out of ten people accept and oh okay oh you know yeah um, selective memory yes well i mean that's selective memory. It's, it's an interesting question because if someone does have a problem like filler migration it seems to last years and yet when we're looking at a clinical result like you know vermilion border people can't see it they come back and say it's all gone so it's almost like uh <laughs> i don't know is it selective memory is it they don't understand is it Maybe uh, not as good as it was. I really don't know the answer. Placebo? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they wish it into I existence. Think we, we, we get used to our new look so quickly, so we forget how we looked before the treatment. Yeah. And when they, you know, many, not many, but some, you know, when the lips, I describe the healing process that the worst swelling you will have the first 48 hours, and then you will be puffy for a week and the lips are more or less healed after two weeks. But then on week four, often something happens. It's just like the lips, you know, you know, after a long day of work and you come home and you jump into the couch and you're like, <sighs> you know, that's the lips does that after four weeks, <sighs> they settle. There is no more inflammation the filler have really settled nicely into the tissue. The extra uh, water that the filler attract had, you know, away a bit, you know. So the lips really, really settles nicely after four weeks. And that's like a milestone when people or, or patient call, everything is gone, you know. Yeah. No, they are healed. They're not gone. And yeah, that's often mm. when I have to have that discussion with them and let them know that one syringe of, uh, Restylane is a fifth of a teaspoon. Yeah. Mm. You started this journey um, in injecting many years ago, and I'm sure that you know a lot more now than you did then. And I know there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who look up to you, who are perhaps new to the injecting world. So I guess with that in mind, what advice would you give to yourself if you could go back in time to Julie Horn when you first started injecting? And I guess what, you know, in addition to that, what advice would you give to new injectors that are just starting to learn this craft? Oh, wow. Good question. That, um, I mean, when I started this journey, I was curious, I was passionate. And the reason why I was able to create these different techniques was because I experimented a lot and to be able to create something new we have to experiment 
Is that the right word? Yep. Yeah. Exterminate. Yeah. yeah Experiment. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you said exterminate. <laughs> yeah. Doctor Who. Exterminate. That was what I was afraid I was saying. You don't want to do that. Experiment. Yeah. Yeah. Experiment. Experiment. Yes. But of course, under safe circumstances. So I had, for example, just to learn, you know, how to, I don't know if I should actually, if it's right for me to advise this, but uh, let's see if we use this or if you (laughs) delete it when you edit this material. But when I was a novice injector, I wanted to know everything. I wanted to learn what was going on in the lips, in the tissue. And actually, I figured out that there was a fascia attached to the orbicularis oris muscle and the wet dry border before I even learned it from someone else or read it somewhere in an, in a, an anatomic book or whatever. Just because I was experimenting with different layers in the tissue. Um, also, without injecting, to go through, do a little bit of the not subsition, but go back and forth into the tissue with a needle to get to know the feeling uh, in which layer you are in when I'm submucosal, when I'm in the muscle, how the feeling changed, you know, in your hands, in your needle. I'm almost imagining myself being the bevel, you know, under the tissue, Mm. trying to get to know the different structures, the feeling of it when I'm in a tubicle, when I'm in in a... empty pocket when I'm in scar tissue and even maybe in a, in a vessel to, to learn the feeling. Uh, it's not only about what we see, it's also what we feel when we're holding the syringe. Uh, but when I was, you know, stabbing through all these layers, I did it on a, a friend um, that's also in the business and we didn't inject. We were experimenting to learn the feeling. And I don't know if that is something I should recommend, but we're not injecting. So we <laughs> yeah. the, the worst thing that can happen is, well, I guess an in- infection or a big hematoma. Yeah. <laughs> um, but to, to experiment and, you know, Use your time for education. It's important. Go on basic training first. If you're a new uh, injector, learn the anatomy, learn the basic steps, the basic techniques, and then you can advance, you know, over time. Uh, that would be my, my suggestion. And, and I'll add one more thing, because you said it right at the start, and I think this is key for, for all injectors, even if it seems a bit ambitious at first, is to have a ambition have a plan have a goal don't just learn to inject because that can sort of lead to nothing if, if, if you don't know what you want to do with it you, you sort of stay very stagnant but if you know you, you set your bar very high and you got there so yeah. I, I think that's really good advice to have some sort of business plan even if it's seems a bit ambitious or crazy at the start have a goal because then you can actually aim have your education and, and experience towards that um definitely a couple of well, we had hundreds of questions, but we actually answered most of these when we scripted your questions. So just a couple more. Um, Thrive Clinic, or well, the Instagram was Thrive Clinic. What's your advice on cold sores, both pre and post? So if you've got a patient with a history of cold sores, what do you guys give them? At least in uh, Norway or South Africa now. Yeah, I can only speak for, uh, since I'm not injecting here in South Africa, but can, when I was uh, at my clinic in Norway, um, if I have a patient that have a history of 
frequently herpes simplex outbreak, I like to give them preventing medication, uh, valsiclovir on the treatment day and on the day after to prevent a cold sore outbreak. Okay. So I I like to do that, yes. Perfect. Um, any special tips on bruising? And this is from the Samir Clinic. I don't know where they are actually, but thanks mm. for the question. I mean, they will go away by itself, won't they? I, I mean, I usually give my patients make-up advice, how yeah. to cover them up rather than, I mean, some people recommend Arnica, uh, different creams here and there. Some people even recommend some t- type of laser treatments to get rid of the, uh, the bruising yeah. quicker. I'm just old-fashioned. It will go away. <laughs> I'm the same as you. <laughs> If you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, you know, putting a needle in your face, it might bruise. And if you're really yeah. not willing to tolerate that, we probably shouldn't do this, is, is sort <laughs> of where is where I'm at. Exactly. Fair I'm, enough. I'm the same. <laughs> okay. Now, I don't think you told us who inspired your work or who was your, not mentor, but who did you, whose work did you look at and think, wow, that's awesome when you were training? Well, different people. Um, Other than so Jake. I mentioned Thomas. <laughs> no, I wasn't around then. <laughs> Actually, I was Other around then. Other than Jake. I was around then, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I guess uh, the first person that inspired me was, uh, I mentioned him, um, dear, dear colleague and friend, that was Tom Fanek that introduced me to the tenting technique uh, yeah. that he taught back then and still does. And... By doing his tenting technique for way over a decade, which is vertical injections, he doesn't have any issues or problems with migration or anything with his patients. And he's done it for like over a decade. So that is also uh, a nice way to look at it, that it might not be as horrible as some people today claim it is. Um, So what I did... He introduced me to the tenting technique and then I started to experiment. How can we lift this more? What about if I do this? So I did some tweaks. So he inspired me to do vertical injections. Then I continued with my own mind to experiment and work with different uh, depths and see how superficial can I possibly go? Sometimes I had to correct with some hyaluronic days, you know, learning by doing. Yeah. Um, yeah, so that's how I came up with my my technique, taking small pearls from, and Tom Fanek was one of them, and then I don't actually really remember all, all the names of the injector I've seen both on, online and um, on conferences here and there, but taking pearls here and there, and also from all professions. I mean, I have nurses that inspire me so much out there, just as much as doctors, specialists, GPs, derms, uh, dentists. So I'm not really, um, you know, obsessed about titles. Uh, mm-hmm. It's this is a work as as long as we know the anatomy, as long as we are artistic and we know our field it doesn't matter if it says dr or rn to me you know i would like love to see more nurses on stage um, in our field well that leads um nicely on to the next question i was going to ask you because we've had um as you like doctors nurses 
Dermot, like we've had a range of people from all different walks of life on this podcast and Jake and I are obviously supporters of nurses and we think you guys do a great job, but we've come across, um, you know, certain, certain people with opinions that perhaps in their countries, nurses don't do a lot of injecting or there's still some stigma around that. Have you ever encountered that in your travels or your teaching around the world with people that don't sort of have that respect for nurses? And if so, how do you, how do you deal with that? And what advice would you give to people that encounter the same kind of thing? Well, definitely, we can just talk about my my situation right now in South Africa. Nurses are not allowed to inject in South Africa. Mm. And uh, and listen to this. Uh, here in South Africa, the the culture is, is so ridiculous. Of course, I can't generalize, but the culture here <laughs> that I have heard is if, even if you are a GP, you are nothing. You shouldn't inject if you are a GP. So that's the mindset in South Africa. You have to be a plastic surgeon or a derm to be able to inject, more or less. GPs are allowed, but they have a bad reputation because they're only GPs. So yeah. you can imagine what they even would you know, think if they heard that I'm, a nurse might inject in this country. It would be like, oh, you know. Um, so, yes. Some countries are so, so far, far behind. Also in Europe, there are countries that nurses are not allowed to inject. I just think it's old fashioned. What's important is that it's a teamwork. If you're going to be a nurse injector, of course, we want, have to work close with a really good doctor. So you are a good team together. Yeah. Now, I can't remember if we're allowed to ask this question or not. Are you still developing your own lip balm or not? I am. Oh, you are. I Tell am. us more. I'm, I'm excited. I want some. Can you send us some? <laughs> yeah, I will, of course, send you some. Yay. Definitely. It will, go, it will go so well with your design there yeah. um, in the back, we'll black and white. We'll wear it before yes. every podcast. When we start video, we'll just do a little shout out. <laughs> yeah, 100%. So tell us about it. What's, what's the thought behind it and what is it? You know, I am a lip balm freak. Uh, I love to have this, uh, I, I don't know. Like this, a glossy gloss? Um, yeah, like a layer on my lips. I don't like to have my lips dry. Mm -hmm. So I always have wear something on my lips. And it's hard to find the perfect lip balm out there. Some lip balm feels sticky. Some just disappear right away. So you have to apply it a hundred times a day. And I just felt I'm in the lip industry <laughs> i'm injecting lips i'm passionate about lips i love lip balms why not produce one myself the perfect lip balm so i did a lot of research and finally it took a long time now i think i have the formula that is perfect for me and perfect for post-treatment uh, immediately after the treatment so the ingredients are you know, it doesn't contain any perfume or parabens or any chemicals, shit like that, that can irritate uh, the skin. Sorry for... No, it's funny. <laughs> no, it's okay. like we just take the explicit <laughs> button. <laughs> you, you can... No, 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 we that. keep all that in. <laughs> no, so uh, I think it will also help the patients in the healing process, you know, for 
which often I see when I, from the topical numbing cream, sometimes the lips peel in the healing process, you know, these strong uh, lidocaine creams we put on the lips and it contains ingredients that will calm down the inflammation. So the, the thought behind it is that the patient get this on the lips immediately post-treatment and that they get this lip balm with them home and to more or less take care of their new investments, their new lips. And it's just fantastic. And I just uh, used up my last tester that I had. So now I'm like starting to freak out. Is it branded yet or is that just a sort of a, a sample packet? This is a sample, but it will look like this, but with a different design outside. It's very so sexy. It's very Chanel. Is, I like it. It's very Chanel. Yeah. yeah. Very Chanel. Absolutely. Actually, that's a good question. So what, I'm super excited. No, that's cool. What um, lidocaine or, or cream uh, percentage do you use for to numbing your lips? I forgot to ask that. Uh, I have a Vaseline-based uh, topical numbing with 23% lidocaine wow. and 3.5% tetracaine. I leave it on for about 15 to 20 minutes. Cool. Wow. That's, that, that's hard they will certainly be numb. <laughs> I can tell you that. Yeah, that's why, you know, on my injection videos, it looks like my models are sleeping more or less. It's a very effective uh, yeah. yeah, really. Gosh, there you go. They're yeah, dribbling that's awesome. themselves. <laughs> And I know that you've teamed up with with uh, some some other KOLs recently. I know you did work uh, some work with Raj, um, sort of on your own webinars together. Um, what's next for you? What's what's the plan? Give us the scoop. Oh God, I wish I could share this with you. No one's listening. You can just, yeah, it's no just one's listening. It's just Jake and I. You can tell we us. We don't get fifteen to thirty thousand <laughs> downloads a month. It's fine. <laughs> I have so much exciting things ahead coming up soon and it will definitely be a one-of-a-kind collaboration uh, i'm going to have a webinar in june yep. together with two of my biggest idols mentors gurus out there and i am having a training tour all over canada and usa coming up in september also together with uh, these two people and I don't think I can spoil, but when this goes live uh, or when we we tell people the winner of the competition, oh, yes. Yes, we'll get then, to that. yes, then I might be able to tell with who, but it's big, big, and it's super, super exciting. Well, that sounds awesome. Well, we'll tune in for that. Now that does lead nicely onto our last sort of topic of the day, which is the competition, which was super, super exciting. Um, I think we got more engagement from that than we've ever got from anything. So thank you for your support and um, sort of allowing us to do the competition. So just to summarize, people will get to do a theory session with yourself for around two hours. And then this cool thing is that they'll get to do a private uh, session with you with two lip models and you'll obviously go through the technique injections etc and they'll just need a friend to film the whole thing so you can actually talk to them as they're injecting so, so it'll be via zoom uh no just facetime or, yeah, okay. or or however julie prefers to do it but it's such a cool unique thing that you've come up with so uh, our our listeners were super super yeah. excited we're going to announce it live tonight on instagram live either with julie if she's available if not <laughs> then, then it'll be David and myself but um, we'll try and hook up with Julie so tonight when when the podcast um, 
is actually published. We're recording a week before. Yes. We will announce it and just watch our Instagram for, for that. Well, Julie, listen, I, I'm really mindful of the fact that it's absolutely baking in Cape Town yeah. and you've sweated through this. Thank you so much. We really do appreciate your time and, and thank you so much for all of the planning that's gone into this. It's been um, really good to get to know you um, and stay safe. And keep us um, in the loop with all of your plans. Uh, we'd love to be a part of that if yeah, possible. Absolutely. And um, let us know when you're coming to Australia because we'd love yes. to. We'd actually love to have you in studio, and we'd love to catch up with you. And tell us how people can find you online um, if they want to email you, if they want to get in touch. What are all your details? First of all, thank you so much for having me. I'm been so excited about this that I feel super honored to have do this together with you guys. And as soon as COVID or your continent let me in, trust me, I will come and I will sit in that couch okay. together. Yay. I will be like the the cheese and ham between you guys. That would have been that would <laughs> be ro- amazing. A rose between two thorns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. For our latest news, upcoming guests and episode topics, follow us on Instagram at inside underscore aesthetics. During the week before every recording, look out for our Instagram stories as we'll give you the opportunity to submit your questions to our guests and get a shout out. You can also DM us for any other information, suggestions or guest requests.